0: Nations Church Podcast. right um, the slope and, and we've been in this and this is actually the last week of this series next week we're starting a series called undercover boss sometimes there are things in charge of your life that you aren't even aware of that are running and that are creating havoc and chaos in your life and you have no idea of it. we're gonna be starting that series next week but this week we're in a series called the slope and if you've missed either one of the weeks I would really encourage you to go back. Last week, Stephen Kurt talked about unity. The first week, I talked about the necessity of having a proper view of God's word in the Scripture in our life and how powerful it is. But this week, I want to talk to you about croissants and string lines. Croissants and string lines and I wish we would have had croissants to give out but we've got just a snow shack next week so we're all all good right like we can't be too gluttonous in one week Um, but uh, in this series we're talking about how do you have a strong live life with a strong biblical conviction a strong biblical view instead of just going along with culture how how do you establish that kind of life and live that life in a culture that just kind of goes the way that it views is correct and it views is right. We define slippery slope as this a process or series of events that is hard to stop or control once it has begun, and that usually leads to worse or more difficult things. I think we all understand the terminology slippery slope, and I think it helps to bring definition to it. Our main text for this series is found. In Judges chapter 21, verse 25, this is actually the last verse in the book of Judges. And it says this, in those days Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And and when you read through the book of Judges, when you take time to read this book, you're reading about all kinds of evil, all kinds of things the nation of Israel did, and you're sitting there going, how in the world did this nation, did these people, the, the, the nation of God, right, the followers, the Israelites, how did they ever come to this place? How did they ever get away from the book before that, the book before that is Joshua. And Joshua is a leader, and at the end of the book of Joshua is a verse that you and I are super familiar with. He says, and he calls the whole nation and all the tribes and all the clans together, and people are starting to serve idols and go wayward. And he goes, no, 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 no. Pick this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? And this is what it says at the end of that, Joshua 24, verse 31. And the people of Israel served the Lord... Throughout the lifetime of Joshua, and of the elders who outlived him, those who had personally experienced all the Lord had done for Israel. How did a nation, how did a group of believers and followers of the Lord go from this to Judges 21-25, in those days Israel had no king, and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes? How did it go from that to this? And I would say this, and I don't have time to do a whole message on this, and I'm going to get to it soon. But in Joshua 24, 31, it says, those who had personally experienced all the Lord had done for Israel. First thing is this, is that they didn't have a personal experience with the Lord. A lot of them in the book of Judges, they just heard about what their grandparents had experienced and what their parents had experienced, but never had experienced a move of God in their own life. And at some point, in some place in your life, in your walk with the Lord, you've got to have a personal experience with Jesus Christ. Because here's what I read. When I read the New Testament, here's what happens to people that encounter Jesus Christ. Not religion, not church, but Jesus Christ as they either get madder they get changed. They either get mad or they get changed. And if you're not getting changed, probably the reality is you're setting in the mud, and you're setting in your ways, and you're just getting mad. You can't experience Jesus without a radical change that has happened in your life. And some of us, we need to come back to having a personal experience with Jesus again. Some of us, we had it when we were a kid, but it's been a long, long while. And man, it's really hard to stay on track and not start doing what is right in your own eyes if you don't have a continual experience. It's called a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Jesus said this when he's separating the sheeps and the goats, and they're like, but we preached in your name, and we prophesied in your name, and we did miracles in your name. And what did he say? He says, depart from me because I never knew you. Right, It became a professional relationship instead of a personal relationship. And some of us, we're knowledgeable about God, and we have a professional relationship with Him, but we, we are lacking the personal relationship with Him. But that's not what I'm preaching on today. Here's the second thing that happened, is that they blew past what they knew was wrong. Right? You read the book of Judges, and man, they just start doing what is right in their own eyes. They didn't yield to conviction. They didn't respond to it. They just did what was right in their own eyes. They did what they felt was good, what they thought was good, what they thought was right. And they blew past what they knew was wrong. They blew past conviction. And when I say the word conviction, what do what I mean by that? Because it's not just about feeling bad for something wrong we've done, right? Because all of us, man, when we're a kid, right, our dogs are this way. Like when my dog Vader does something that he shouldn't do, I don't have to say something. I walk in and he's slinking towards me, right? Like like that's not the Holy Spirit moving in Vader, right? That's, that's, don't get that confused. Like that's just— that's just our nature, right? It's the conviction is bigger than that. Conviction means this from the Greek. It's translated as elencho, which means to convince someone of the truth or to reprimand. To convince someone of the truth or to reprimand. So we see that conviction brings out the truth, that it doesn't just show us what is wrong, but it leads us to what is right. And one of the main things that we, um, One of the main roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives, yes, He is a guide, yes, He is a comforter, but also one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit in our life is to bring conviction to our life, to show us not what we feel is right, but what is really right and what is really true, and when we get off base, to reprimand us, to convict us, and to bring us back to what we know we ought to do. It's not about condemnation and it's not about making you feel bad. There's a way, way bigger difference. The Holy Spirit's not there to condemn you. He's there to convict you, to lead you to a better place. Jesus said this about the Holy Spirit in John 16, verse 8. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. He's convicting you of your sin and showing you what you should engage in God's righteousness. This is one of the Holy Spirit's main roles. And, and also, the Word of God, the reason it's so true and why it's so important is 2 Timothy 3, 16, 3, verses 16 through 17, talks about how the Word of God teaches us what is wrong and how to do what is right, right? That's the Word of God, so that there is something that is consistent in our life. But there's some of us that we aren't listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And there is this conviction of the Holy Spirit, and there is the Spirit way-led and myself-led. The Spirit-led life and the sinful-led life. And which one is winning out? Because Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 17. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces, check this out, are constantly fighting each other. It's like your kids, right? They're constantly fighting and battling one another. They're constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these, there is, there is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the, the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And check out verse 25. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Not just some parts, not just our Sunday self, but our whole part of our life, let us follow the Spirit's leading. Here's what happens. When we start doing what we know isn't right, the Holy Spirit brings conviction and there becomes tension because of conviction, right? There becomes tension because of conviction, And you know this tension, and I know this tension, and what happens is we get in really big trouble, and we get in a bad place when we don't pay attention to the tension of conviction. We get in a bad place when we don't pay attention to the tension of conviction. And when this happens, man, it leads us to a place that we thought, how did I even get here? It leads us to a place of doing what is right in our own eyes. How did the Israelites get there? They just blew past conviction, right? And they started doing what they deemed okay, and what they deemed was right, and what they deemed was what they could get away with. And and here's where this leads you, and Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. It says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. 2 Timothy 3.8 says this, the very end of it. They have a depraved mind and counterfeit faith. They, the, their faith looks real. Right? It looks like close to the same thing, but it's not the real thing. This is what happens when you and I blow past conviction, is that it leads us to that last verse in judges. We do what is right in our own. We do what we deem is right. We do what we feel is right instead of what the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is leading our lives to look, and here's the problem. Some of us, we're living our lives like this, but we look just like normal church people, right? We've got a counterfeit faith. It looks good, but on the inside, it's not real. And let me give you the warning about this. Let me give you a warning of where, when we blow past our convictions, what happens? The alternative to not paying attention to conviction is compromise, which always leads to sin. Read that again. The alternative to not paying attention to the tension of conviction, right, is compromise, which always leads to sin. See, when we blow past conviction, it leads us somewhere, and we have a choice to make. We're either going to follow the spirit's leading our lives, the Spirit-led life, or our sinful-led life. Our spirit-led nature or our sinful-led nature. And for some of us, we have started compromising. And here's the big problem with that. Is compromise always leads you somewhere. And that place that it leads you to is sin. One of my good friends goes here, um, comes comes to Foundations Church, Jeff Wagner. He owns a, a construction company. They build playgrounds. Um, in fact, his company's the one that built all the playgrounds and the gathering place. Um, pretty cool thing, right? So he kind of knows what he's doing. He's, <laughs> um, you, you see these massive structures? Jeff did that, like his company did that. And um, he was talking to me uh, the other day. And he says, you know, Justin, when we, get every, when we start lining out these projects, at the very beginning, we get our string lines lined up. And I'm like, string line, just go with it. You'll know what he's talking about. Just pretend like you understand what he's saying, right? Um, but he gets their string lines, and he goes, we've got to be exact. He goes, we can't be one degree off. Because one degree off, if we're one degree off from the beginning, it may not seem like a big deal in 10 feet, but you get 50 feet and 100 feet out of the way and down the road, and you're just off one degree you've got a disaster on your hands. You've got all kinds of dysfunction. It won't work. It's not going to play well. And you've got a mess on your hands. Why? Because you got one degree off at the very beginning. And some of us, that's exactly what our life is. We may say, well, I'm just a little off, right? It's It's just a little compromise, And you may say, well, Justin, it's not that this compromise isn't that big of a deal. Right, maybe right now it's not that big of a deal, but hear me, compromise always leads you to sin, and sin always leads you to regret. And you've heard this if you've grown up in church, sin will cost you more than you want to pay and take you places you never wanted to go. And it is so, so True. And some of us, man, we are dealing with things, and we're going just like the Israelites. How in the world did I get here? It's simple. You didn't pay attention to the conviction, the tension of convinc- conviction. You just blew past. And it led you to a fork in the road, and you went this way, and you compromised. What, and, and here's the deal about compromise, and here's the deal about blowing past conviction. This morning, I don't have to tell you what you're engaged in is wrong. You know it. Like, you know it. And, and, and hear me, the heart of your pastor isn't to make you feel bad today. It's to make sure your life doesn't keep going down that same path. Because if you keep going down that same path, hear me, you're never going to live the life you dreamed of, but even bigger, you're never going to live the life God wants you to live. It's way bigger than your dreams. It's all about his plan for you. Some of us will just one. and, and we're at the very beginning stages, I and mean, it's, just, it's just one degree. It's not that big of a deal. Man, if I could open up your head and plant this into your brain and let you know, no, 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 one degree is a big, big deal. Stop blowing past conviction. Stop excusing your compromise. Stop making up reasons for it and pay attention to the tension. So how do we get back on track? The first thing is this. you got to identify where you are, right? Identifying where you are is your first step to getting where you want to be. Identifying where you are, I would even say this, identifying who you are is your first step to getting where you want to be and becoming who you want to become ultimately. And some of us, we're just we're in denial. That's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. Just a little compromise. Right? It's just, everybody else is doing it. We're going along with the flow. Can I tell you? The slope gets slippery. Right? The slope gets slippery. When your bailout becomes comparing your life to culture, the slope gets slippery. When you start comparing your obedience to others' lack of obedience, the slope gets slippery. And nothing's going to get better for you by you calling your sin something else than what it is. Right? Well, I don't like that word sin. I, I, and pastors don't like to say the word sin. It sounds so harsh. You know what sin means? It means missing the mark. And some of us, our life is missing, oh, it's just one degree off. No, but you're still missing the mark. And if you keep going down that road, you may be able to make it for a few weeks and a few months and a few years, but it's going to lead you to a place you're going, how did I get here? It's easy. You started blowing by conviction here and compromising here, and all of a sudden it led you to doing what was right, that this actually became a viable option for you here. Because you and I refuse to call it what it is. See, when we engage in sin, we want to call it something. Well, I just, I just got some skeletons in the closet. No, it's called sin. Well, I've just got some bad habits. No, that bad habit's called sin. I've got guilty pleasures. No, it's called sin. It's a lifestyle. No, 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 no. It's called sin. And here's the deal. If we don't call it sin, then there's no need for a Savior. There was no need for a cross. There's no need for a resurrection. Because if we're not sinning, then why did Jesus come in the first place? Here's what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 through 10. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Right? But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Or I love the way the NIV reads, all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Man, if you and I are going to get where we ultimately want to be, we've got to identify where are we really at? Not our counterfeit faith, not what we're portraying, but where are we really at when it comes to life? Who are we really? Not who are we trying to portray to be, who we're trying to be. No, no, no. Who are we? And are there some things you've been ignoring? Have you been blowing past the tension of conviction? Oh, just, just, Have you been compromising, even if it's one degree? Because hear me, that compromise, eventually, it will lead you to a place of regret and heartbreak and sin. And you'll be wondering, how did I get here? simple. You started doing what was right in your own eyes and following your own self-led nature instead of following the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. If you're going to shift from this, right? If you're not going to live life this way, there's got to be this shift in our thinking. And there is a paradigm shift that's crucial that happens within the body of Christ. And I believe this to my core. Um, This has been a big setup to get to this point. Because there are a bunch of us that what I'm getting ready to say, some of you are like, well, I'm not compromising, I'm not convicted, you know, I'm not, I'm not blown by conviction, I'm, I'm doing well. You know, all this is great, I love it, amen, amen. But but some of us, what I'm about to share, we are not doing that. And if you can get your life and your mind and your choices and your life following this paradigm-shifting thought, I'm telling you, it changes everything. And here's what I want to challenge you with today. Don't settle for permissible. Instead, choose what is beneficial. Don't settle for permissible, but instead choose what is beneficial. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 23. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. If you understand what's going on, it's talking about the food offered to idols at this point. And Paul's saying, hey, hey, yeah, you can do anything, but should you do anything, right? Everything's permissible, but it's not necessarily beneficial. I like the way the NLT reads. It says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. So you say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. The best way I can, I can describe this is this way. So the other day, Monday, Casey and I go to lunch with a young couple at our church, getting ready to get married. Casey orders a salad, right, from Charleston's, and if you know anything from Charleston's, when you order a salad, there is an amazing croissant that comes with it, right? Right? I don't know if you've had this croissant. If you've never had this croissant, I'm being, I'm being for real, it's the best croissant I've ever had in my entire life. It will change your life. It is fantastic. There's honey and sugar and crack cocaine in that thing. It is absolutely, I don't know if there's crack cocaine. I've never had it. Um, but it's fantastic, right? Uh, that, is, that is a great croissant. Now, here's a problem. I'm focused on the croissant. Casey ordered some kale salad. Here, here's the problem with this picture. You might as well just put a donut on that plate, right? That croissant is the same calories as a donut. Like, I'm, I'm just being honest. So, Casey couldn't have the croissant. It's permissible, right? The, cro- the croissant's per- Oh, it even tastes good for a moment, but it is beneficial. So, so let, me, let me phrase it this way. Casey can get away with that. If I am trying to get into bathing suit shape right now, I, I can have it, right? I can have the croissant. It's permissible, but it's not good for me. It's, it's not good for me. And, and here's what I have to do. I don't have the self-control of Casey, okay? I'm like, how, how you, what? You're just going to leave it there? You're not going to eat it? You're just going to leave it there? Like I tell the waitress, oh, I've got to clear this. I'm like, you can't even bring it out. I'm like, it cannot touch my table. It's like Oreo cookies. I cannot eat them if they're not in my house. If they're in my house, get out of my way. I will run you over, right? Like, like, you can't bring them to the table because if it's there, I'm going to engage. Oh, it's permissible for me, but it's not good for me. And here's what I can tell you. Some of you, you are letting things to the table of your life that have no business being here. It's got no, oh, but you're just saying, well, I I can do this. It's not necessarily a sin. And so we start walking the line that leads to compromise, but we haven't crossed over any convictions and we haven't crossed over into compromise. But what our problem is, is we are starting to think and we're operating with our relationship with God of what can I do instead of what should I do. And there's a, there's a huge paradigm shift. And some of you, you are allowing things, and you're allowing opportunities, and you're allowing temptation. And hear me, tempt, we're all going to have temptation. Temptation isn't a sin. But you're allowing temptation to the table of your life. And that can't, that's not a wise way to live. And there's a paradigm shifting thing that happens in your relationship when you start operating out of what should I do instead of what can I do? Big, massive chasm of a difference. Oh, you know what? You can go out and drink with you. It's not a sin, right, to go have a glass of wine or a beer. But should, is that the wise thing for you to do? Oh, my gosh, is he getting into my alcohol? Absolutely I am. Because hear me, I want what's best for you. And some of you, you are heading down a road that's not wise. That's not about what should I do. It's all about what can I do. And you're letting things that, that are permissible but aren't beneficial. And hear me, as your pastor, I want absolutely what is best for your heart and your life and for you to make it down the road of life for the long haul. Some of you, you're letting things come to the table of your life. You're putting yourself in situations. You're going to websites. Oh, it's not porn, but it's real close. You're engaging in relationships. Oh, it's just innocent texting. You're, you're, you're doing things. Sure, you can do it, but should you do it? You're crossing boundaries that you know you shouldn't cross. Oh, you're just one degree off, but hear me. Stay one degree off for long enough, and it's going to lead to a lot of dysfunction and a lot of problems and a lot of heartache. And you're going to say, how did I get here? It's easy. You kept operating out of what was permissible instead of what was beneficial. And if there's going to be a shift in your life that really changes you... Because can I tell you, man, God wants us to operate out of a life and a relationship that is looking at it from a what is beneficial. What's beneficial? Because it always leads you, just like what is permissible leads you somewhere. When you start living your life based out of what is beneficial, it leads you somewhere. And here's where we start to do. We start to lead a life of righteous courage. Right? When we start living our life based on what is beneficial instead of permissible, it leads us to living a life of righteous courage. Here's what I believe with my whole heart. As God has not called you to blend in and fit in, he's called you to stand up and stand out. As a follower of Christ, he has called you and I to stand up and stand out. And so he's not just called you to be holy, which means to, to, to avoid sin, right? Some of us, we're trying to avoid bad, but we're never engaging in what is good. He's called you to be righteous. And this is where the fun comes in of being a follower of Christ. Right, Being a righteous follower of Christ, righteousness doesn't just mean being right. It's way bigger than that. It's doing something that is right. That's what God's called you and I to do, isn't to play prevent defense, isn't to play not to lose, is to engage in doing what he has called you and I to do, to stand up and to stand out. The word of God says this in Romans chapter 12, verse one through two. And so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world don't fit in, right? But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Not can I, but should I? Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Second Corinthians 5.20 says, we are Christ's ambassadors. Another translation says, we are Christ's representatives to this world. Matthew five. 13 through 16, Jesus says, "'You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? Will it be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless? You're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house.'" In the same way, church, let your good deeds, let yourself be engaged in a courageous, righteous life. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. That your good deeds don't point to your good nature, but it points to something bigger than you. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Don't lose your courage because it brings with it a great reward. Let me say this, and i got to close. I could preach this sermon all day. In fact, I'm going to. I've got two more services. Um, But... Don't lose your courage. And follower of Christ, don't lose your courage. Don't live like everyone else. It takes no courage to go along with the flow. It takes no courage to fit in. But can I tell you, we're coming to a place in society, it takes courage to stand up for biblical standards now. There's more pressure to go along with culture than there is the Savior. And are you going to stand up and live a courageous, righteous life or are you going to fit in? Right? Because here's what I believe. I think the church is doing a big injustice because we are raising wimps and wussies instead of warriors and mighty men and women of God to stand up and live a righteous and courageous life and say, even if there's backlash, man, even if people don't understand why I'm living my life this way, because I can do it this way, I'm choosing what is beneficial instead of what is permissible. And I know I might be able to get off one degree and that not be a big deal right now, but man, I want God's best for my life in the long haul. And God's calling you and I not to slip on the slippery slope. How do you not slip on the slippery slope? It's easy. You grab your pickaxe and you grab your hiking boots And you climb up the hill and you go the opposite way that culture is going and you learn to stand your ground because Hebrews says it all, man. Don't lose your courage then because it brings with it a great reward. Don't lose your courage to live your life differently, to stand out and to stand up. Man, don't slip on the slope. Realize God has an amazing thing, an amazing life for you if you will just have the courage. To chase after it, teenager, college student, young professional, young married couple, old married couple, grandparents. Chase after it. And let's become the people God has called and designed us to be. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And I thank you for today, and I thank you for your goodness to us. And God, I pray today that, Holy Spirit, we welcome your conviction. Lord, I pray that we would understand that, that our lives aren't going to look the same. They're not going to be all uniformity. It's, it's, it's not making clones of each other. Lord, it's, change, it's chasing your will for our life. And my will is going to be different. The will that you have for my life the plan and the purpose you have for my life is different than anybody else's in here. But God, I do pray this. that we wouldn't excuse our actions. God, that there would be a stop of us excusing our compromise. Because Lord, if we don't stop, if we don't have this moment where things get corrected and we're just honest about where we are and who we are in life, we're never going to get where we really ultimately want to be and who we ultimately want to become. And so God, I pray that we would not be like this book of Judges. That we wouldn't be doing what is right in our own eyes. But, like it said in Joshua, that we would have a personal experience with you today. Well, we have a personal moment right now with you today. And that this would be a a huge moment of grabbing our attention because, Lord, we've been flying through the stop signs. and We've been living our life on what we can do instead of what we should do. And there's a huge difference in the two. And so, Lord, I pray right, right where we're seated, at our home, in this church, God, we would have a God moment with you. And there would be change. And there would be a shift that happens in our life. With heads bowed, eyes closed today, if you're here and you say, Justin, I'm here. You keep talking about this personal God moment. and, And I'm here and the reality is simply this. I haven't called my life what it is. And my life has sin in it. 1 John 1 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us from all our unrighteousness. And today, if that's you, whether you're here in person or you're at home watching online, when I count to three, if that's you and you need forgiveness, you need to recommit your life to the Lord, man, you need to make him the Lord of your life for the first time, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand and we're going to lead you in a prayer that will change your life. One, two, three three is there anyone here today yeah yeah is there anyone else you join these two hands that are lifted before we go any further in service today you just say it's me you know what we've all sinned we've all fallen short of the glory of God this isn't something to be embarrassed about there's one other hand there's three hands is there anyone else you just say Justin that's me man I'm just gonna own where I'm at because the first step into me getting ultimately where I want to be is this moment right here is there anyone else before we go any further you join these three hands that are raised. If you raise your hand, if you please repeat this prayer after me I mean it from your heart. Jesus, I come before you today and I confess that I've sinned, that I've messed up, but I ask for your forgiveness. God, I turn away from the life that I was living. I repent of it and I turn to you. And I grab hold of this courageous and righteous life that you've called me to live. I confess you, Jesus Christ, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm going to live for you the rest of my days. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we give these three individuals in first service a huge round of applause? Hey, first service, I want to leave you with some homework today and and hear me. Michael's getting ready to come up, and and he'll give us some next steps and close out service. But I really have been loving what we're doing with this homework and giving you guys some questions to take home. And as you guys are going to brunch, I know a bunch of you are going to brunch, but um, I just want to challenge you. Talk about these. And, And the first one is this. Have you been ignoring the tension of conviction and compromising in areas of your life? And I want to challenge you with this question to get real here. Don't just say, yeah, but identify what areas of your life it is, right? Because we can say, yeah, 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 I've been ignoring, I've been flying through, but, but what is it you've been flying through? What areas is it you've been flying through? Because what we refuse to identify will never change, all right? Second thing is this, is your life lived off what is permissible or what is beneficial? Are you living life based on what you can do or are you shifting to what should I do? And the last one is this, are you living a life of righteous courage? What good work are you engaged in? Or do you need to get busy doing because James 1.9 says this, remember it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. That's actually James 4.17. It's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Let's be people who are doing what God has called us to do and live big lives that are holy and righteous and courageous. I love you Foundation Church Michael if you'll come at this time.